passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, July 24th, 2022. And uh, we have here the, the physical hard copy of um, the Wall Street Journal Weekend Edition. It, it's, uh, you know, above the fold, on the ropes, uh, what does it say? For alleged misconduct, McMahon to retire. Story continued on BD1. Uh, I'm joined this morning to my immediate south by Chris Gullo and to my due east, Jesse Collings. Hi, Gullo. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Jesse. Good morning, guys. Uh, Jesse was there live and in person at Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view in Lowell, Massachusetts. He participated in the media scrum. We'll talk about uh, questions and responses from from Tony Khan and from from others and his experience there. Uh, what else, Chris Gullo, should we talk about today? Well, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss uh, Ring of Honor uh, Death Before Dishonor, but we're going to talk about more fallout from Vince McMahon retiring on Friday afternoon, late afternoon. Stephanie McMahon called it evening, whatever you want to call it. But Vince McMahon retired on Friday. You guys did a great job with breaking news. Uh, on Friday about it, but we're going to get into more detail and kind of what, what that looks like for wrestling going forward. Right. We, we talked a lot about it. Jesse and I did on Friday night, uh, which is on YouTube and in, in, in the, um, the audio version is on pa- Patreon. Um, so there's a few things that, that hadn't happened yet, or maybe a little bit more that we could say today. Um, but let's, let's, uh, Where's the slides? I've I've now I've turned off my Joe Rogan background, my black light studio looking background, and uh, here's here's the slides. There they are. Here's there us. Go. Okay. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I did go to Wegman's and get the Wall Street Journal. Um, Wall Street Journal doesn't really have new information, but but uh, Wall Street Journal was very uh, you know did a, did two two breaking news stories uh, over the last month or so uh, about Vince McMahon and the uh, misconduct. Uh, allegations and investigation and so forth and so on. Uh, how can people send in uh, questions and comments if they would like to? Yep, so right there on the YouTube chat, you'll see the little dollar sign. You pr- put your question in and whatever amount you seem fit for the question, and we'll take super chats throughout the show uh, as the timing sees fit. Yeah. So there, there is the, uh, the, the newspaper from the Wall Street Journal, the weekend edition. Um, I, I have the, the Titus O'Neil clip ready, but um, the, there's the Vince announcement that happened at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, just after the market closed. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about on Friday night is Vince McMahon's note to talent, according to PW Insider, uh, which he sent out in the afternoon on Friday via text. Would you like to read this, first of all? Yes, I will. Uh, okay. 
to all WWE superstars, as I approach 77 years old, oh my God, am I really that old? I OMG, feel it's time for old, me to yes. retire. OMG, yes, OMG, OMG, am I really that old? It's time for me to retire. I thoroughly enjoyed sharing my passion, wisdom, and love of the business with you. No longer will you see the smiling, docile, level-headed, calm presence at Gorilla every week. Your dedication to WWE will ensure that our company will continue to grow and prosper. Our organization is nothing without you. You are WWE's only natural resource chosen to perform in front of a global audience. You are all WWE global ambassadors. Carry the WWE flag wherever you go. Wave it high and proud. And bust your ass to be all you can be as a person and a performer. And as a performer. One other thing, I won't be with you, but I'll be watching. Remember to keep your hands up, grab a hold, and sell. By the way, SmackDown airs live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central on Fox. Vince. Just to remind them to tune in, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so that's his note to talent. Uh, Stephanie McMahon opened the show with uh, a tribute to her father. We will listen to that now. This is the WWE Universe, and we are eternally grateful for all of you. But since Vince had the opportunity to thank us, I think this is the moment that we take to thank him. So now we're going to do it together, right? Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince. And uh, that, that was that was in Boston, uh, where Brock Lesnar did come back, despite reports that he had left the building earlier in the day. Uh, I've got the WrestleTix scripts. We'll talk about some of the AEW uh, events that, that Tix went on sale for in the last few days. Uh, but the, the Boston SmackDown, uh, tickets distributed, if my calculation analysis is right, 9,785. I did tweet something Friday night that was higher uh, before I realized, I think I was including some sections that I shouldn't have been including. So 9,000, almost 10,000 there in Boston. Um, Jesse, you were not there, but um, your fellow citizens in the Boston area were there chanting, thank you, Vince. Um, we can talk about real, real quick too. The, the rating the rating was up. This was, this was not the, the June 17th spike in the rating that, that Vince drove when they announced that Vince is going to open up SmackDown, which he did with, with his non-announcement. Um, this, this, this will be the highest SmackDown in all likelihood in a month, about two point, almost 3 million viewers, which is a really good SmackDown rating. Um, I imagine raw will be up too, just because WWE is going to be more top of mind again, but probably not to the degree that it was up following the initial Vince is stepping down and, and stepping his interim CEO. Um, uh, Jesse explain to me why people were chanting. Thank you, Vince. So willingly. Um, I was, uh, disappointed by my fellow Bostonian and New Englanders that, but I will say that you know, Stephanie was out there leading the chant, which made it come across as very inorganic. I know there were people chanting it before Stephanie kind of started to lead, but I did see like the, the whole like, thank you, Vince has got a lot of big like Jeb Bush. Yeah. You can clap for me kind of energy. Um, but I, I, you know, I, you know, it was interesting. I, you know, the tickets distributed is is a good number, I suppose. Um, 
it's obviously in a venue that can hold a lot more than the ticket amount of tickets that they put on sale, which has kind of been their MO when they've yeah. been running these these NBA and NHL arenas. Um, I talked to some people who said, you know, they got let, well, they bought tickets last minute because, you know, of, of the news, basically. Um, but, you know, in, in hindsight, it really wasn't much of a, a, a like a special smackdown. This wasn't like a tribute show to Vince. This wasn't like a uh, a show with like a bunch of wrestlers talking about how much Vince McMahon means to them. And it's interspliced with batches and things like that. It's really just that one Stephanie segment where, frankly, not a lot was said. Um, that was kind of put forward there. So it was kind of interesting the way they, I think it's interesting the way that they approached like how to advertise his retirement announcement. There, there were some vague allusions on a commentary to it's a historic night. Um, but that's, that's the, the clip we just listened to is I don't think the entirety of Stephanie's segment, but she made no illusion. I did watch the entirety of her segment. Uh, it's not much longer than that. There, no, there's no illusions to why he retired or any of the controversy, any any of the, the sexual misconduct and, and allegations or the investigation by the board of directors, you are, if you're not reading any news, you're left to think that, oh, he's just, you know, he's he's older now and he's decided to retire. Um, that's what you're left to think. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Interesting, too, when she mentioned he retired, there was booze. And I was like, oh, what direction yes. are these booze going? And then, of course, they didn't go the direction I would think they would go. Uh, I, I tend to wonder, and maybe we'll talk about this more, and you guys talked about a little bit on, on Friday. Is there a lot of Vince diehards that are fans that are just going to, like, leave the product? Well, Vince ain't in charge. I'm not watching anymore. How many of them is really out there? Because it's getting that was a pretty large ovation of thank you, Vince, and there was a lot of stuff on social media. There's a lot of Vince loyalists out there as far as the fan base. I, I tend to think it's pretty small, um, especially considering, like I said on, on Friday, it's not like Vince is the host of the program and, and somebody who's really associated, at least on screen. He's somebody who's deeply controlled this product every week, every episode for you know the entirety of, of his his run as as the the, the promoter of, of of WWF. and WF. But I don't think that there's a ton of people who are going to ebb and flow because he's, he's not in control anymore. I definitely think that they can push, it might push some people who are maybe on the fringes. Maybe they've become more casual fans over time to kind of stop watching the product and stop maybe tuning into WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble because they already feel kind of a disconnect with the product and what Vince leaving um, can kind of be symbolic where they're like, you know what? I actually don't really like this and it kind of forces them to kind of reevaluate the quality of the product. I think with Vince gone and kind of a new regime taking over the product itself is going to be under, I think perhaps the greatest scrutiny we've ever seen it from people just trying to see how different it's going to be. Um, one last thing I'll touch on with the fan base kind of in attendance chanting. Thank you, Vince. Um, something WWE has done a very effective job of over the last several years is really running off all fans who didn't like their product. And it's really reflected in the kind of audience participation we hear. You know, obviously there's thoughts about not all the noise that we hear on broadcast being the kind of noise that's in an arena, but yeah. a lot of it, a lot of it is like the idea of there being fans that would boo the product and would boo like bad finishes or someone being pushed that they didn't like those people have kind of stopped watching and you don't get that kind of reaction that you used to get of 
the fans taking over the show or hijack the crowd hijacking the show or those kind of things. You don't really see that anymore. And I think it's because a lot of those fans that were upset with the product stopped watching. They stopped coming to, to live shows. And that's kind of been um, so the people that are like, I hate Vince McMahon. Those people aren't showing up us at WWE shows anymore. And they might have like five years ago, but, but they've been run off and they're not going to come back. Yeah, and, and there's a high level alternative in terms of running at arenas in, in AEW. And that said, I don't see like this tremendous drop in attendance at, at, at this point relative to say 2019. Um, so there's still people showing up in the arenas. Uh, it's harder to read ratings. Um, <clears throat> so I there there was the announcement um, Friday morning at 10 a.m. exactly which just, just the round number. I did look at my email and see when did this alert get sent out? 10, 00 AM. And it, 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 so probably a scheduled announcement, I would guess just announcing that triple H Paul deck is it's, it's phrased in an interesting way. It's a very short message that we're going to hyper analyze here, but Paul Levesque will resume his executive position as EVP talent relations. Um, there's a quote from, from triple H. I look forward to returning my prior position as head of talent relations. I'm healthy, fired up and ready to take charge. Um, I, I be, before the the Vince news was was announced much you know later in the day, I sort of felt like it, it makes it sound as if he wasn't working up until this point. It makes it sound as if he wasn't an executive vice president up until this point. It makes it sound as if he was the EVP of talent relations you know a year ago and then hadn't been and now is again. His 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 title and as far as we know his title currently maybe maybe his title has changed upon this announcement, but his title. From 2020 and forward, is global. What is it? Glo- global. Can you look that up, Golo? Yeah. Global talent strategy and development. Something. Something close to that. Before that, and it was EVP. EVP of global talent strategy and development, or something very close to that. Before that, before 2020, from about I think 2013 to 2020, his title was executive vice president of talent live events and creative. Um, so talent was part of his, and in both cases, talent was part of his his title. Um, in any case, <clears throat> I would guess that putting this announcement out at 10 is part of the strategy to say, hey, look, there's people ready and, and ready to take over Vince's duties and, and ready to support WWE stock market, business partners, rest assured. This is happening in the morning. And then, boom, Stephanie and Nick Khan are now the co-CEOs in the afternoon. Look at all these people that are that are ready to to lead this company going forward. I'm guessing that's part of the strategy there. Uh, and now um, I've got a bunch of images here on the screen for people watching on YouTube with Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan at the top, the new co-chief executive officers of WWE. Stephanie is the permanent chairwoman of the board of directors of WWE. Um, and I've got a slew of images beneath them. As, as Jesse said to me memorably many weeks ago, the day that Vince McMahon is no longer in power, the knives will be coming out, and perhaps now uh, a lot of a lot of intrigue about what happens, how quickly it happens, how much change there is visibly to fans on the WWE television programs, who ends up in power, who ends up head of creative. Does Kevin Dunn survive for very long here? Is Bruce Pritchard, who continues to basically be the head of creative, apparently, according to reports from from uh, uh, outlets, including PW Insider and Fightful and PW Torch, Bruce Pritchard continues to direct creative. How long does that last? Does Triple H, despite his health issues last last year, how, how strong are 
Triple H's ambitions still to maybe be the head of creative? Or is, are his ambitions lessened since he had serious health issues? Basically, sounds as if he had a heart attack uh, around September or so. Um, Paul Heyman. Is, is Paul Heyman uh, an enemy of, of Stephanie as, as he probably once was many years ago? But John Laurinaitis apparently is out. Those are the duties that Triple H is taking over. John Laurinaitis was elevated back to head of talent relations before the scandal came out. So how will this all play out? Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, or opinions, Jesse or Bella? If you, you want to go first, Jesse? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I think the Paul Heyman one is really interesting that Paul Heyman is historically an enemy of Stephanie McMahon, I suppose, is a fair statement to say. Um, how has that relationship changed over the last 20 years, you know, removed from when they were kind of working together? Uh, I've always been intrigued by how much creative control Paul Heyman has accepted that he has a lot of uh, control with, with Brock Lesnar. And it looks like now with Roman Reigns. Uh, and that makes him a very powerful person, even if Stephanie doesn't like him. If he, ha- if Paul has the backing of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, who are WWE's two biggest stars by a considerable margin compared to basically everyone else on their roster, uh, it, it, it makes him more secure than maybe he has been in the past. But yeah, I don't know the future of a lot of these guys. I think Johnny Ace is probably on the way out. Um, and I, it'll be interesting, some of the people who aren't on this screen would be kind of Triple H's partners in NXT and your, um, you know, obviously Shawn Michaels being very prominent, but, you know, Jeremy Borash, uh, you know, the kind of people that he was using in NXT to kind of groom to, to bring his own team to the main roster and kind of replace a lot. Many of them are cleaned out in uh, the fall or so yeah. towards the end yes. of the year. Uh, um, th- those would be names like who? Uh, Brian James, Road Dog, Gabe Sapolsky, Ryan, Ryan Katz. Cats, yes. And those guys are are those guys going to come back into the fold now that Hunter has regained power in some in some way, shape, or form? That remains to be seen. But I definitely would be interesting whose creative vision that we're going to see. I think there's a lot of optimism from people that there's going to be really big changes, and that the people shown in this screen are going to have a dramatically creatively different vision for professional wrestling that Vince McMahon did. I don't see a ton of evidence outside of maybe Paul Heyman to believe that that is true. But uh, I, like I said, I think it's going to be really interesting to see whose creative vision we start seeing and who gets credited with the creative vision that we start seeing and how that, and, and how that kind of works on, on, on what we see and who kind of can curry favor with Stephanie or Nick Khan. I think it's accepted that Triple H obviously has an inside track on currying favor with Stephanie, but can he also impress Nick Khan? And does that become, an issue if someone else is impressing Nick Khan and he starts conflicting with Stephanie about it. I mean, that's the palace intrigue element that you mentioned. I think that cool. Yes. I think first off, if Bruce Pritchard is willing to adapt to what maybe Stephanie and, and, and Triple H or kind of have a vision for the future of WWE, I think he'll be in that position for a long time. If he does leave, there it, do more power just come to the writers because you got to remember this is a company where the writers didn't do creative and then they were the script was just writ, ripped you know an hour two hours before showtime because Vince McMahon didn't like it do we just kind of see more of those organic things from the writers does much change whatever but uh the chat screaming Jeff Jarrett 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like if Cody's on here, we got to kind of Jeff Jarrett is, you know, the executive or president of live events. Does he try to secure more power now with this shift? But we also have heard he's very aligned with Bruce Pritchard. So as long as Bruce is there, Jeff is there. Is Jarrett gone if Pritchard's gone? And then obviously the big question, Kevin Dunn, do like, was there somebody being groomed to replace Kevin Dunn by Stephanie and Triple H? So my understanding that there was a producer named Chris Chambers who was working essentially in the Kevin Dunn role in NXT, but Chris Chambers is no longer with the company. So I don't know. And that was a while ago. That's probably a couple of years ago that he left. Um, so I don't know if there's somebody else who would be an obvious replacement for him. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a long and gradual process before WWE creatively, visually, and in the experience of the viewer changes. Um, I think what we're going to see too, and I think what that, that first segment with Stephanie indicates is that number one, we're going to continue to see the honoring for some time of Vince's vision. Um, I think Stephanie thinks really fondly of her father and all the work that he did. So we're going to see a lot of that. We're not going to see the end of terms like sports entertainment and WWE universe and scripted promos and scripted segments and things like that, especially as long as Bruce Pritchard is in charge as well uh, as, as head of creative. And I think we're going to continue to see the lionization of, of Vince McMahon, the ignoring of, of this investigation that's going on, unless more bad news comes out for Vince, which it very well might. Um, there's probably going to be an HBO Real Sports story in the next month or two. There's maybe... Uh, another Wall Street Journal report. There might be other media that we're not even thinking of now that could put names and faces out there and could put people on the record and and may cast Vince in an even more negative light to the public. Uh, maybe others as well. Uh, we shall see. Um, so, Speaking yes. of that real quick, we did get a super chat from Tim B. Uh, and he asked, what should we read into the fact that he left unceremoniously without a TV appearance? Is that a TV partner call or more bad news coming a la Benoit? I, th- I think it would have been a, a bad choice PR-wise to put Vince McMahon out there on SmackDown the, the day that he announces that he's retired. We've kind of already been through this on June 17th when he stepped aside as uh, CEO and, and chairman in the interim of the investigation. To put him out there uh, again on this past Friday, I think would, would make people feel even more like, oh, he's not really gone. He's not really going away. Because was, I think that's very much what the June 17th appearance was supposed to express in his intention was that I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to I'm going to come out here and totally ignore the news that's happening here and, and just talk about, you know, I'm just going to utter some propaganda and some catchphrases about the W signature. Um, I think it would putting him out there would would lead to more warranted skepticism that he's ever really going to leave, which is a, as, a, as an open question regardless Uh Vince is still going to be Stephanie's father, regardless of what he's doing while, you know, not being in, in, in the WWE headquarters, in his office at WWE headquarters anymore, or in gorilla position anymore. He's still going to be Stephanie's father. He's still going to be somebody who's probably operating as a de facto advisor anyway. So that's probably still happening. How do you feel about it, Jesse? I mean, yeah, we talked about that. I was very surprised when he cast his demeanor after the first Wall Street Journal story, which was him you know, promoting himself coming out on SmackDown the same day that the story broke and really milking that for all it was worth, as opposed to this, the much more subdued 
uh, not non-appearance. And to me, that indicates that this is a pressure being put on by business partners to not have on screen, which could easily translate to pressure from TV partners to not have them involved with the company at all. And I also think that's indicative of he survived a couple of these Wall Street Journal stories already, I guess. I think he probably could have skated through um, if there was no more information to come out. It seemed like he was going to, but the fact that he's gone now makes me think that, that it's over. Um, and, and we're just now waiting for that for that bomb to drop. Yeah. I, I asked somebody who's a, who's a media consultant who, uh, who used to be a TV executive if, if they thought that, you know, what's the catalyst for Vince retiring? And I want to talk about that phrase, retire, too. But what's what's the catalyst for for Vince actually permanently, apparently stepping down? Do you, do you think it's because TV partners applied pressure or because they felt that it was going to negatively impact their ability to renegotiate favorable TV rights fees for Raw and SmackDown? Uh, this person told me that their opinion would be that, you know, probably not. Um, so but I've also talked to other people who work in, in making media deals that that it probably was affecting bidding and then affecting what potential bidders there would be for Ron SmackDown rights. Uh, notably, we still haven't seen the final finalization of a Hulu rights deal, a next day TV rights deal currently held by Hulu. That could be, could be, you know, plausibly bought by Netflix or Amazon prime or ESPN plus, or who knows what uh, we still haven't seen that. And that probably expires at the end of the year. Um, so there's that. Uh, so Vince is still the majority voting shareholder. He has about 38% of the shares. Um, he will continue to hold shares. He's not getting rid of any of his shares. I know if, if, if you're, if you've signed up for the email alerts at corporate.w.com, you got a, you got a number of emails just after the Vince retires announcement. Uh, these are form fours. What are form fours? Form fours are records to record transactions from, uh, executives and board members, uh, major, not major shareholders necessarily, but, uh, they're, they're, they're documents that are, that are published, they're SEC filings that are published to let the public and investors know that, uh, somebody who's, uh, who I, I suppose would have inside knowledge of the company has made a stock transaction. Anyway, um, the, all of these form fours came out from various executives making stock transactions, but those are to cover tax liability. Uh, so those would be very much scheduled and routine. Basically, they they liquidated shares in order to pay for their taxes. Uh, this happens every year. It is quite coincidental that it would happen on this day, the day that that Vince retires. But uh, but it happens every year in, in late July, uh, and I've, this is something I've you know, noticed and seen before. So, and, and the forms are very clear that they, these transactions are recorded for tax liability and, and not because, uh, not because they're, Oh my God, Vince, Vince is out of the company. I want to get rid of my stock. That's not what's happening. Um, anyway, as of March, Vince McMahon holds 38% of all W shares, 38%, more than a third of W shares. However, he is the majority voter when it comes to voting rights. Uh, 81% of the votes belong to Vince McMahon. He could uh, sell his shares down. He could sell about, he has about 28, 29 million shares 
right? There's about 76, 77, 75 million shares, basic shares in WWE in all. He has about 29 million of those shares. Um, he could sell. So I did the math and so how much could he sell? How much could he, he liquidate? Imagine he wants to do some major business project. How much could he liquidate and still maintain that voting control? So he could still have 50.1% of the voting power after selling about 10.8 million shares, uh, assuming the stock price remains stable. Uh, at $66 a share, that would come out to over $700 million, about $715 million or so. Again, that, that's subject to what the stock price is, though. Uh, so that's nearly a billion dollars. $700 million is a lot of money, uh, to me anyway. Uh, just to, to play this out, just to think this through, if Vince sold all of his stock, I mean, imagine W gets acquired now, which is very much a, 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 a plausibility. Imagine Vince McMahon sells all of his stock. That would be nearly $2 billion, $1.9 billion. So, I mean, Vince is going to turn 77 on August 24th. Um, but maybe there's something that he wants to do. I, I, I don't know. It's another discussion, though. Does this man have any hobbies? None are known other than working out and working. Uh, does he have outside interests other than, you know, visiting with his grandkids? Uh, none are known. Um, it's not like Vince is involved in another business project. If not for the pandemic, perhaps the XFL would be there for him. But the, but the pandemic interrupted the XFL. Uh, he had to sell the XFL. <clears throat> so Vince, um, not sure what he will do next, uh, but he could get a lot of cash if he wanted to. Um, Vince, so what, can, what, what is Vince, what is he able to do while still being the controlling shareholder? That's not changing. He's still the C, He's not the CEO anymore. Not the chairman anymore. He's not the head of creative anymore, but he's still the controlling shareholder. What power does that give him? Uh, it gives him probably the ability to, to, he has to approve of any sale of this company. If W wants to sell to NBC Universal slash Comcast, or perhaps Endeavor is another realistic player. I don't buy that Disney is a realistic buyer of this company. I don't think they're interested. I question whether Comcast and Brian Roberts really wants to, to buy this company. Nonetheless, Vince McMahon probably has to approve of any sale of this company because he's uh, because he owns 80% of the shares or 80% of the votes. He owns 36, 37, maybe 38% of the shares. Uh, he has special voting rights because he's the founder. Um, so that's the power that he has. Every April, there's an annual shareholders meeting where the members of the board of directors are voted on. I don't know what power you would have to nominate members of the board, but he would continue to be able to approve of anybody on the board or disapprove of anybody on the board. Um, to this point, it's always been a formality because one man controls 80% of the votes and you know everybody seems to vote with him for the most part anyway, and, and, and everyone is approved. Uh, but he has some control over the company. Um, but I, I tentatively buy that he's, he's out. He has no more direct oversight of this company. Uh, Jesse, any thoughts on that? No, I think you summed it up pretty well. I mean, as far as what and what if Tim, if if Vince isn't in charge of creative, and Vince isn't CEO, and Vince isn't a member, the chairman of the board, he has a lot of power because he has a lot of voting rights, but he doesn't ultimately have a lot of day to day authority over the product. I think the bigger influence he's going to wield is 
the influence that he's imprinted on others. And I'm sure he's going to be offering many suggestions to Stephanie, to Bruce. Like, what does Vince being out of power really mean? Does If Vince says, I want this, I think this should be the main event of WrestleMania next year, and people disagree with him, are they actually going to go forward with their idea, or will they always defer to Vince? That that remains to be seen. That will ultimately be kind of like what I would consider his main power in WWE, not simply that he has a lot of voting stock. Yeah, I can't see I can't see Bruce Pritchard not leaning on Vince McMahon for things and, and getting his advice and stuff. I I think that's gonna be especially, you know, Bruce it seems like he agrees with Vince's vision. So I think Vince will be the first one he asks for advice, probably before Triple H or Stephanie or anyone else, Heyman or anyone else. Now if Bruce Pritchard is not head of creative or is not involved in the company, why why is that reasonable to think about? I mean, I, I don't know what the relationship is like between Stephanie McMahon and Bruce Pritchard, but but Stephanie, there's the story that Stephanie fired Bruce Pritchard in 2008. Um, I think Triple H, if Triple H ends up being the head of creative, which is, uh, I, I don't know, again, is Triple H as ambitious and does he want to take over that role? Does, does his health issue change that? I don't know. But if Triple H ends up being the head of creative, um, I don't think Triple H is going to defer as much to Vince, despite their relationship as son-in-law, father-in-law. I think they have sincerely different views of wrestling. Sorry, because that's what it is. It's wrestling. Does he make more public appearances? Like, I know people talk about and Like I so said, we don't know what more like stories. WrestleMania season. Who, who's, who, who are they going to induct? They, they need a big name. They're going to need a big name in L.A. for the Hall of Fame. I mean, that is that that is one idea, Brandon. But like, it does he, you know, there's been stories before that, like all like the smaller Hall of Fames in wrestling have like inducted Vince and Vince has never shown up or didn't want the award or the recognition or all that. Does he do that now because he's got nothing else to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Does- I mean, huge, huge questions about what what is his life going to be like? <laughs> yeah. What is he going to like? I mean, I, I've, I've seen it posed already. Like, yes, today is Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday. The day before that was Friday. Friday, the announcement was made at 4 p.m. Yesterday morning, Vince McMahon woke up and didn't and wasn't the CEO of, of WWE. What did he do? Is it far-fetched that he would work for Trump if Trump tries to run for president again? Like in a I, I, don't, think, I don't think Vince is, is sincerely interested in, in politics. I don't, my opinion, my, my speculation, I don't think that, that Vince and Linda are very close at, at, at this point. I don't think he's like going to work with Linda or something, if that's what you're getting at. Um, well, and not just that, just, you know, just thinking of people he's connected to outside of pro, pro wrestling, and obviously Donald Trump is one of them. I could see I him could maybe see being, a, being a member of a board of directors, but do you want this 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 disgraced man as, as a member on your board? Probably not. Yeah, that's my question: is how toxic is he? If he's to- if his if his if his name is going to become toxic enough for him to be lose his position in WWE despite having a bunch of advantages and secure for reasons why he should be secure in that position, that's probably going to block him from a lot of potential avenues that he want to go forward with. It's going to probably prevent him from you know, working on different projects in Hollywood if he wanted to do that or getting involved in other forms of entertainment or sitting on the board of directors for another major company. All of that, if he has his black mark that's that's on him, it's going to prevent him from maybe pursuing a lot of other legitimate business interests after this. He might, he's going to go to a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, youth sports events with his grandkids. He's going to be, I mean, I asked this, we asked this, Vince, Okay, he's Vince. He has like a crazy work schedule, but he's also very, very far from the first person 
that has ever worked all the time and then suddenly had to retire and now we don't know what to do with themselves, right? My dad is like the same way. Like I don't, when my dad retires, I literally don't know what he's going to do. His favorite hobby is work. So I think we all have people in our lives that are like that. And it's ultimately isn't really any different than, than, than those people. It's a very common problem or issue facing people of his age. And I think like, not only is he uh, now the main character of a scandal, uh, but I think he lost some, some in the sports world anyway, probably lost some credibility with, with how he handled uh, Oliver Luck uh, and, and the lawsuit that transpired from that. Um, so that may be an, an issue before you even think about the scandal, about whether or not you want to do business with Vince. Um, so we'll see what happens with the stock price on Monday. I know people are, are have been asking me about, what, what do you think the stock price is going to do? I have no idea. Uh, aftermarket did not really move. Um, I don't know how aftermarket and, and pre-market really works. It'll be interesting to look at this, this stock uh, tomorrow morning. Um, we'll see. The the. The bull case would be that, wow, now that Vince is out of power, this company is really realistic to think about as being acquired. And if there's, and if you theorize, if there's a perception that there's multiple bidders interested, I don't buy necessarily, I'm not convinced anyway that there are. But if you believe that, then you think this company is more valuable because there might be a competition for buying WWE. And you could certainly imagine Nikon making a deal if that was something that WWE wanted to pursue. Um, I would be surprised. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the stock was down a few percent on Monday. I would be surprised if it went down like 10%. I don't, I think we've had this month where he was not, he was on an interim basis, not the CEO, not the chairman. Uh, the company survived and there, there wasn't anything, uh, you know, there wasn't anything terrible that happened to their business because Vince wasn't there, uh, even though he was the head of creative. Um, and I don't think the forces that change the stock price really care about who's the booker of WWE. I don't think their, their finger is on that pulse. And I don't know that that, that really changes the value of the company anyway, but what changes the value of the company more than anything is what you think, what kind of deal you think they're going to be able to make for Raw and SmackDown in 2023 going into effect in late 2024. And it's not clear that, that, that base case of 1.5 X has changed. Yeah, I mean, it's different than, like, we, we've all discussed this. I think we all share the same view, and I'm sure many of the listeners do as well. WWE, with a more competent booking, booking team, would be earning considerably more money now than they currently are because they have a lot of advantages in the TV rights bubble. And if they didn't run off a bunch of fans over the last, you know, decade or so, they'd be doing even better now. No. Uh, you would think so, but I, I should start sending you guys the the analyst reports that I that I read, where it's it's so nuts and bolts. And this this I've, I've I don't know I've internalized this and accepted it over the years. But there's I think the you know the the average wrestling fan would assume that that the stock market cares about what the content is like, which is driven by what the creative is. And there's just no awareness of that. There's no c- consideration to that. And I don't know that there should be. Um, but if you read like a yeah, Morgan Stanley report or whatever, they're, they're not talking about how the ratings are down, the content sucks. I think part of it is because they kind of whine and dine these people. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's precisely my point, though, is that like, right, we can sit here as fans and be like, you know, the company would be doing a lot better if it had better creative vision. But 
the stock market and the investors are largely blissfully unaware of that. They see the, the, the numbers that are coming in for WWE and they see the year over year record breaking revenue and just assume that that is, I don't know if it's good as it can get for the company, but in a very positive way. So there was never really any pressure on Vince being removed. Even if we as wrestling fans can say, you know, you guys would actually be doing better if there was a, you know, a better creative aspects to the show. And so now that Vince is gone, I don't really see that big of a difference happening because as long as those, as long as the revenue keeps coming in and it's going to, as long as these TV deals remain the way they are, there's no reason to expect that it doesn't matter who's in creative. It did, I mean, that's the story of WWE over the last 10, 15 years is that the quality of the product is completely disconnected from the revenue streams that have been coming in. And, and, and I think on, on a, so frustrating for a lot of fans. And I think on a high level in when you're making these judgments about what the value is of the company, these are stock analysts who understand finance and understand markets. Uh, and this is not necessarily a critique, but an observation that there isn't a really a much different. I don't think there's a lot of differentiation made by, by stock analysts and by the general public about the quality of the content, because it's all sort of ridiculous, weird pro wrestling. Anyway, it's all sort of zany entertainment, lowbrow entertainment to, to, to the general public, I think. And there's not a great deal of differentiation made between what we might differentiate between a great wrestling product, a mediocre wrestling product, and an, and an un, unwatchable, miserable wrestling product. <laughs> Goal you wanted to say. Yeah, I, I, just, I think there's just too long of a lasting brand for WWE. Like when somebody, you know, what? oh, I like wrestling. Oh, that WWE stuff, or that WWF stuff, where the general public and, and people in the financial world just see that this is a brand that's never going away. It has stability. It has – so they're the creative – There's a lot of reality and value to that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, how many people say, oh, this Coca-Cola doesn't taste the same way it used to? But guess what? They're still buying Coca-Cola, and Coca-Cola is a brand that's going to go on for another 100 years. It just is what it is. Has Coke, the flavor of Coke changed? Yeah, people have said, yeah. They really? went from sugar to, to not sugar. And... They, they, they took the cocaine out of it. Is that it? Yeah, well, that, 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 was, that was 100 years ago, but yes. Okay. Okay. Um so here we have. This is from Super Luchas. I'm, I'm waiting for the the official portrait of Vince McMahon to come out. Um, you know, much like in, in you know places like the DPRK, when when the great leader dies, they come out with the official portrait, uh, the posthumous portrait of, of the great leader. Um, we've seen and we've got more of this right since since we spoke on Friday. There's uh you know there's a lot of yes people in wrestling who worked for Vince McMahon who feel like they owe. Their, their, their income and their livelihood to the work uh, that they that he gave them. Um, there are you know, many fans and people in wrestling media who have said things to the effect of, wow, I can't believe Vince is gone. He's, he's so important to my childhood. Um, people in WWE saying that. Uh, people in wrestling media uh, sort of celebrating uh, and even you know, taking a, a, offense to criticism uh, of, of Vince on, on this holy day that he is no longer with us uh, uh, as, as a CEO, still alive though. Um, Jesse, thoughts on the wrestling media's reaction to Vince and uh, is, is this a sacred day of, of, of mourning or is this, you know, is this some, something that's sort of a relief for the wrestling industry and for WWE? Okay. For status, 
you why are you coming out and say like now is not the time for the Vince McMahon, you know, memorial, the tribute, the eulogy. If you've been paying attention at all, you've been seeing the stuff that's going to come out is the reason Vince is probably stepping down is because there's probably a huge bombshell coming out, whether it's a Wall Street Journal article, whether it's the, the real sports with Brian Gumble story. Something's happening that's going to make Vince McMahon seem even worse than he already is. I personally would be the, hey, let's not talk about how great this guy is because here are some horrible things that he's been in, involved in at this point. But you're really tempted fate by, you know, putting out this hagography, I can't pronounce that word, hiography of, uh, um, of Vince before we even know this terrible thing that is potentially coming down the road. I've, you know, people were talking hagiography. Yes. People were talking about, people were talking about the SmackDown uh, from Friday night being like a, like the Benoit show is because now it's like, Oh, I can't believe they did this when they didn't have all the information out. And now we look stupid because everyone, we made everyone chant, thank you, Vince or whatever. So, but my, but my biggest issue with it in general is, you know, in sports writing, you're taught to be – everyone that's a sports writer grew up as a fan of a sports team, pretty much. Maybe not necessarily the team they're covering, but, the, but they grew up as a fan of the sports team. And you're always taught to be unbiased and not be a, a, a fan of those teams. Now, there are people like Bill Simmons have kind of broken that mold where the kind of niche is that he's – a major media figure, but he's openly rooting for his favorite teams, which are the Boston teams. And there, there are other people that are like that. But in general, if you're a, a national level sports writer of a lot of prominence, you don't root for the team that you grew up with. That's and, and people don't even know that you're a fan of of a team of the team because you you you've become this unbiased kind of reporter or, or judge of all of this. Wrestling media is still kind of catch, not catching up to that. There's a lot of people out there that are in prominent positions that see Vince McMahon as their favorite childhood figure and their grandfather. And in that way, he gets a lot of slack in a way that wouldn't happen in other things. We, we It was talked about, like, if this was the, a disgraced general manager, um, co- you know, getting fired from a job, the media wouldn't be like, oh, it's so sad that they're leaving. I know maybe they weren't perfect, but they did such a great job for so many years. It just wouldn't happen. It, you would see it maybe a little bit like uh, Joe Paterno is a good example, I think, kind of. of yeah, this. The, the Penn State coach. Yes, former Penn State football coach Joe Paterno, an icon to that people in that part of the country. Um, everyone that knew college football knew who he was. You know, it has to – I don't even can't remember if he resigned or he was fired, but it was basically out of total disgrace because of the Jerry Sandusky scandal. And there were members of the media, Joe Posnanski being like the most prominent one, who kind of did kind of put forward like, like the, oh, Joe Paterno, he was still a really good guy despite all that. But far and wide, the criticism of him from every media circle was like, yeah, this is a total downfall for this guy. I can't believe that, you know, Joe Paterno is, is, is going to be, you know, is, is going out in the history books as this, this this guy who oversaw a child sex abuse scandal and didn't do enough about it. Um, and Vince, I don't know if we're going to see that with Vince from, from at least the wrestling media because so much of the wrestling media are people that grew up watching Vince and they haven't been able to contextualize that childhood familiarity and that childhood appreciation with the modern corporate business figure that they're supposed to be covering with a level of unbiased scrutiny. And that just hasn't happened. And it, unfortunately, it was totally unsurprising that it happened on Friday, seeing the kind of takes that we saw. 
Um, and, th- and that's one end of it. And the other end of it, to me, is also just a gross misunderstanding of wrestling history in general. They, so many people who should really, really know better who are ready to credit Vince with essentially creating modern pro wrestling and taking wrestling out of the smoky armories and putting it into the arenas and overlooking any form of institutional advantages or ruthlessness that Vince McMahon used to, to hammer out his competition. And how many takes did we see this week, which were like, if it wasn't for Vince McMahon, none of you guys would be wrestling fans. I don't care if you hate him because, you know, everyone that's, you know, under the age of, of 40 or 45, the first wrestling they saw for the most part was probably going to be Vince McMahon, which isn't even true. It's only true for people in strong WWF territories because up until the nineties, a lot of the time, the most, the first wrestling people would have saw would have been WCW or some other form of territory. So it's not even accurate, but because of this history that WWE has pushed, we now have Vince McMahon invented pro wrestling and people who are in really important kind of information gatekeeping positions buy into it. And it's going to be really difficult for the general public to understand Vince McMahon's career story because most people, even people who you would think would know better, don't know better. And someone asked me the other day, uh, today, this morning, someone said, my wife really wants to know all about Vince McMahon. She only knows very little about him. Is there something out there that she can watch where she can get the story? And I said, I have no recommendations for you because if you just were to YouTube a video or you were to watch a documentary, it's probably not accurate. I'd say like 1% of wrestling fans even know the whole Vince McMahon story. So it's going to take some time. I said, maybe, you know, a few weeks I can recommend like something will come out. That's like a good retrospective on his career. That's accurate. But I don't even know where to, to point to people to get like what I would consider an accurate representation of Vince McMahon, the person and Vince McMahon, the business figure and the kind of the pros and cons of Vince McMahon, everything that's out there is, is, is just, you know, skewered versions of history from either WWE's, you know, PR department and WWE's uh, uh, display of history, you know, that, that glamorizes them and certainly turns Vince into a conquering hero, or it's from people who see Vince as their grandfather that just think he's the greatest person who's ever walked its earth. And it will ignore any of the, any of his uh, problems. I, I would say to Abraham Reisman, it will come out with a biography of Vince, but that's, who knows how long away it's going to be for that release now with this news. Um, I think Six Lies and Headlocks was just a, a book that came out some 20 years ago or more, about 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, is that, who, who wrote that? The I've read it a couple of times, but it was a long time Mark, ago. Mike Mooneyham and someone else. Okay, so it is Mooneyham, the long time, Charles, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, um, Charleston yes. Post Courier, is that the name of the paper? Somewhere down in, the, in the Carolinas. I just you touch on this a little bit earlier, but I just when it comes to wrestling media and knowing the climate of social media that previous tweets and Mike's Mooneyham and Sean sale can come back to haunt you. How, how could somebody in any good faith, even if they believe it, give a thank you, Vince McMahon, knowing there's more bad news most likely coming? Like, you know, that tweet's going to come back to haunt you. Like, I, I, I just don't like I don't get it. At some point, we're hitting a point here where the people don't care what comes out about Vince McMahon. Because we can sit here rationalize, even before the NDA scandal and this potential huge bomb that's coming, we could say, we could point to many of the things that maybe should prevent people from uh, a, a, a fond remembrance of Vince McMahon. You could point to the Owen Hart incident. You could point to the Rita Chatterton story. You can point to the Jimmy Snuka murder story. You could point to the steroid trial. You can point to all of these different things beforehand. But a lot of people have 
gleefully overlooked that in favor of Vince McMahon is my my grandfather. Vince McMahon is you know Sesame Street. Vince McMahon is someone who taught me you know so much and installed this lifelong passion of wrestling for me. And so even if some horrible story comes out now, I can't imagine what it could be. But if it does come out, they'll probably just overlook that because they've already overlooked so much in general. And it's eventually you're going to accept that either you're if you're a media figure or it's your own or your fan base, you're going to um, uh, you're going to uh, like just overlook that, I guess. And you're going to um, just, you know, it doesn't matter all these horrible things this person did. I still love Vince and it doesn't, you know, none of that matters. I'll say one thing here. The other day when I was in that media scrum before, you know, there's a good like 30 minutes where you're sitting in the room and you're waiting for, uh, you know, Tony and, and other AEW talents to, to come to come, you know, come out from backstage and talk to you and stuff like that. And so I was talking to some of my colleagues and then, you know, eavesdropping on some other conversations. And there was someone who was sitting near me um, who I will not name at the moment. But and they were talking about how, like, you know, people get too mad on Twitter that we're not asking difficult questions and you got to be able to protect, you know, you want to have a relationship with these people and you can't just go after them. And they said, if Vince McMahon was sitting right in front of us, you think we, I would ask him about the scandal? And the other guy who was talking to me was like, yeah, no, that would be ridiculous. And I, I didn't say anything, but I wanted to, to, to go over to them and be like, yes, you would. That would be like the number one thing I would ask about him. Like, what are we, ta- what are we doing here? And that was just very indicative of how a lot of people view this whole, you know, relationship between the media and, and the, the, the wrestling executives and the pioneers and the people that they love. And it was really, it was really a uh, disheartening to hear. They wouldn't, but they, they should. Um, if that was a, you know, if we're, we were talking about like the, the head coach of a football team that, that, you know, there is the wall street journal was breaking news about a sex scandal that, that this person oversaw uh, a competent sports media would, would ask the coach about that. I would hope first off. Um, it, go is it that these CEOs of pro wrestling are just too tied to the product as a whole? Like Tony Khan and AEW are, are one and one. And like when you think WWE, you think Vince McMahon, where like a journal, a football journalist could love the NFL, but he doesn't see Roger Goodell in that, like where he's going to ask Roger Goodell a tough question because they're not, he's not connecting them as well. Roger Goodell built the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I think the relationship between. Vince, you know, Vince is very singular because so many people, like you said, have absolutely no interpretation of what WWE is going to is like or even what wrestling is like outside of Vince McMahon's vision. So I definitely think that there's something to that as opposed to sports where we're so used to to leadership turnover, whether it's coaching, general manager, ownership, commissionership, that no single no one person is kind of synonymous with with that kind of power. I mean, to me, it's just like I think it's a lot. Offense and the uh, idea that you don't want these people to potentially be mad at you. Um, and I'm sorry, that's just not that's a serious media member. That's the job is not to get these people to like you or to avoid these people being mad at you. Um, there's ways to be respectful with questions and things like that. And if Vince McMahon was in front of me at a press conference, how would you not ask that? And the fact that you wouldn't is kind of um, is really telling about how you view, uh, you know, your job and how you view your relation, your, your status as a media member. And it's to, to become friends with wrestling people and not necessarily to hold them to an accountable standard, which is not, uh, you know, what I would say is, is, is appropriate for someone in a media position. So I want to talk to you about the, the headline that, that W put out as, as its press release, which is these three words, Vince McMahon retires. Um, 
and what what is the title of our of our video pro wrestling after Vince McMahon. But even on Friday, you know, I, I wrote it in in the title Vince McMahon retires yada yada. Um, this we I did a Twitter Spaces later too with Vince McMahon retires, and it, it hit me like you know at, at two a.m. early Saturday morning, like. Yes, he's 76 years old, about to turn 77. Um, but I don't believe that Vince McMahon ever had any intention of retiring. I mean, he's made public quotes to that effect that he would never fully retire. He says something to Muscle and Fitness uh, maybe seven years or so ago that his idea of retirement would maybe to just work a 40-hour work week. Um, so I don't think Vince – my belief, my long-running belief has been that Vince McMahon would never – release control of WWE would never stop working for WWE until he was physically unable to because his health got in the way or he died. Um, so what's happened here in my view, yes, he's an older man, but this is not a retirement. This is a resignation and clearly public relations massaged this and thought it through and said, you know, it's, it's, he's resigned, but it sounds a lot nicer if he's just retiring because everybody retires eventually, you know, most people retire. Uh, so that, that sounds like, okay, I've, I've had an awesome run here. I've had a great career and I'm going to retire now. Um, I don't believe he retired. That is what you can call it to make it sound more innocent. He resigned because of a scandal, uh, because of a scandal and an investigation into his own misconduct. Um, I think, as Jesse, you're saying, there's, there's a lot of mythologizing of, of, of wrestling history. A lot of that, I just think, has to do with the, the value that there is in media and in nostalgia, especially in the last 20 years or so, 15 years or so, as DVDs and streaming videos become uh, more consumed. And WWE has you know, made money by producing a lot of documentaries and bi- biographies um, that are... I don't believe that Vince like sit you know sits down and and makes it clear to people that he wants him to be to be lionized and a certain version of history to be put out there. But I think that you know he cultivates a culture in which people want to please him, and because he does that, we end up with uh, a, a very biased and favorable version of history that gets produced. Um, so I think that happens. Um, there's a perception. Vince created wrestling that Vince made my childhood amazing. You're, you're entitled to, to, to feel however you want to feel, of course. Um, but I think there's a perception that like, and there's, there's questions from some people like is rest, what's wrestling? Can wrestling survive without Vince, without his creative genius? Um, I think we need to make it clear that wrestling was popular, probably more popular before Vince. Um, wrestling, at least his territory, his company became very popular in the eighties and in the late nineties. Um, wrestling would have been popular even without Vince. Wrestling would have existed in some form. I don't know if it would have been as popular. Somebody would have taken control of cable and gone nationwide. There'd been something would have happened that would have perhaps consolidated wrestling companies. Um, Vince just did it as ruthlessly as anyone could have. Um, but wrestling was popular before it would have been popular without him during, and it will be popular after Vince. I think it, it only stands to be more popular without Vince, you know, unless there's just total disarray and chaos that, that, you know, degrades the value of WWE. Um, like, but more importantly, wrestling isn't just perceived, um, as a carny business. Uh, it often 
is a carny business because of the way that Vince McMahon has produced his TV show and has done business. Um, wrestling, and, that, and that's, that's what it is. I can, I can call this, a, this a, a magical vessel, but this is still a coffee mug. Uh, wrestling is, is an industry and a, and a culture that has been dominated by charlatans. And, and by that, I mean people who think they have knowledge and wisdom when really what they have more than knowledge or wisdom is power. Um, and wrestling has been dominated by charlatans who have held wrestling back, who have held the business back and have exploited and hurt and ignored many wrestlers and fans. Um, and why, why has that been the case? Because the biggest charlatan of them all was on top of the industry for the last four years. Um, and with Vince McMahon out of the way, apparently it has a hope of being a less carny business. But there's, there's an endless supply of people inside and outside of wrestling who are highly influenced by him, who worked directly and learned from him, uh, good and bad habits, and tons of people who clearly still revere him, seeing evidence of it uh, every, every hour or so. And they think that his way is the best way because he did it that way. So it's going to be a long time before all of this gets cycled out, before better philosophies get validated and passed down through the grapevine. Um, but wrestling at least has a, a better chance to be better in a lot of ways as a business that people can trust, that wrestlers and talent and staff can trust, that fans can trust. Um, and as Triple H is supposed to have said in a talent meeting uh, a few weeks ago, that you know it's, it's almost time to put the dinosaurs to bed or something to that effect. Well, Vince is the last person from the territory hours that was involved in a major position in wrestling. I guess you can say like people like Bruce Pritchard and, and, and those kind of people are still around and in the fold. Jeff Jarrett, if you wanted to, to point him out. But Vince was, you know, Vince was the promoter who went head to head with Bill Watts, with Jim Crockett, with Vern Gagne. And it is... You know, not to, to, to wax poetically about it, but it definitely is the end of an old the era, the last guy from a cherished period of wrestling history uh, that is no longer around. We're now fully 100% in kind of the new era, the new school, the new century of professional wrestling. All right. We've done an hour on Vince, which is more than I anticipated, but, but maybe I should have anticipated that. Um, I expect... I expect more lionization celebration of Vince McMahon still to come from WWE and outside of WWE. Um, perhaps briefly, uh, three events for AEW went on sale this past week. Uh, the Arthur Ashe Stadium event in Queens, New York. The Buffalo event here in downtown Buffalo for Dynamite and, and, and an Albany Dynamite. So the Arthur Ashe show is September 21st. The Buffalo show is September 7th. The Albany show is September 14th. Uh, I'm doing some coverage for WrestleTix uh, while, while Mr. WrestleTix is away from uh, the internet. And so what I got for most, most newsworthy here is the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Last year, this did, I don't have it on me, nearly 20,000 tickets distributed, I believe. Um, on, on the first day, I believe, it, uh, first day of general sales anyway, I believe it crossed 12,000. Uh, as of this morning, I ran it just before we started here. Uh, 9,373 is is what I'm estimating. I'm trying to do this in the way that I think Russell Tix would do it. Um, 
where I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excluding any sections that I don't believe have been put on sale yet. So we're not counting the entire map here. Don't worry. Uh, but over 9,000 out. So what, but, but, you know, under 94,000. So well under where the Arthur Ashe show would have been over the same amount of time last year. Uh, the Buffalo show under 4,000. So about uh, about thir- about 4,000 even here. 3,956 is what I have. Uh, this is where the Sabres play. This is a hockey arena. We don't have a basketball team. Professional anyway. Yes, go. That, that's an interesting capacity number because that stadium could hold way. Not a, c- capacity. So capacity is misleading. Maybe I shouldn't use the word capacity. Uh, capacity means these are the number of seats that are currently on yeah. sale or that have already been sold. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, the sum of tickets that are actually on sale, tickets that are actually already distributed. Obviously, uh, what is this? Key Bank Center, maximum capacity. If, you, if it was a hot show and sold to the brim, they could probably put 11, 12, maybe 13 in here, right? Would you agree with those yeah. numbers? Yeah, I think that's around there, yeah. Yes. I, I, I almost ignore this capacity number because uh, it's, it's certainly higher. It's basically this is what's on sale. This is what's been made okay. available. Um, How, um, can I ask yes. a question about uh, a Buffalo related geography, geographical question? How, yes. um, would, would, how difficult would it be for someone from the Toronto area to get, to go to this Buffalo show? I, I don't know what the, we saw Davey Portman who lives in the Toronto area at the Rochester show. And he was, he made it, I don't remember exactly what he said. He made it sound like it was pretty easy to get over the border from Canada to the U S. Um, it's so a drive from Toronto to Buffalo is about two hours. And when the Maple Leafs, make it. yeah, when the when the Maple Leafs play the Sabers in Buffalo, there's a traffic jam. <laughs> uh, I've, I've I've driven home from training many nights where I, where I was like, what the f is this? And it was like, oh, the Sabers must have been playing the Maple Leafs or something because we're sort of right by the border there. Um, so yeah, people often often it's very yeah. very possible. Tor- I think they- I, and I, only, oh, uh, I, I only ask because I know the Toronto area is probably is maybe the, the the most major city that AEW has not made an appearance in yet. Right. And I think we assume that the eventual show that they do run in Toronto is going to be a huge success. But I wonder how many people they get for, for Buffalo. I knew some people from Ontario that went to the uh, the Detroit show. And that's, right. you know, further away. Depending Queen on Davey Portman said he, he was there for Blood and Guts. So uh, about 4,000 out for Buffalo. Just over 9,000 outs for Arthur Ashe. And then Albany, which is the week after Buffalo. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Albany, uh, which is, I w- w- what's the distance from, from Buffalo to Albany? About four hours of a drive? About four, yeah. Uh, 2,400 out. 2,395 out for Albany. Uh, so we'll see how those, I'm sure WrestleTix will continue to follow up on this. Um, Albany, is a w- Albany is a WWE town. Yes. So, that's before Dishonor was last night. Bring of Honor pay-per-view. Uh, Jesse was there in, in Lowell, correct? Yes, Lowell, how Massachusetts. Far is, I, so how far is Lowell, me, uh, how far is Lowell from Boston? Um, depending on where you where, what part of Boston you're coming from, I would say it's anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, probably like 45 minutes on average. A lot of it would depend on traffic. I mean, I live pretty close to Boston. I live about three or four miles from Boston and I got there in 30 minutes. Okay. Um, what did somebody tell you you're about to say? Oh, someone told me Ian Riccoboni said Worcester on the, um, mm. on the, on, on the, on the, on the, 
Ring of Honor call, and I was uh, I was not happy about that. But What's Lola, uh, Lola. what? How do you pronounce Worcester? Worcester. That's how you say it with a Boston accent. If you wanted to say it in its proper English accent, you'd say Worcester. I, I, I wrestled many matches for Beyond uh, in like 2019 yeah. in, in Worcester. And uh, one, one, one of my proudest moments was getting heat for saying Worcester. Uh, Look, if, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't have – see, they broke up the acclaimed and ass boys gimmick, but they had the gimmick where, you know, the ass boys would come out and they'd say whatever wrong city they were in. And having both of them mispronounce Worcester would be easy. This is a free idea. Free, you can still do it. Free idea, Tony. Have the ass boys one say Worcester and one say Worcester, and then have Bowen say Worcester. That's that's how that that's a free free great pop right there. Um, there's no there's no H, so I don't really know how people get Worcester. That just is that the, that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Um. So we have uh, Tony Khan here, who who is present for the entirety of the of the scrum, I believe. Um. We'll get into. Well, let's 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 play this clip now. Hopefully, I'll play the right one. Tony Khan did get, did give an update on his impression of pay per view buys and attendance uh, as he sat there. Uh, probably when did this start? Around midnight or so, eleven thirty, right? Something like that. Okay, we'll we'll play the clip from from Dustin Brasso's Twitter. And I made the over it, and uh, just digitally. And when we get the cable and satellite buys, this will be one of the highest ring of honor. Uh, pay-per-view buys in the history of the company in over 20 years of operating. And uh, as I said, this is the fourth biggest live attendance. Of course, I was on the, our first show we did, Supercard was up there. This beat that by a big margin. Uh, and it was, it was great. And so it has been t- uh, number four all time in over 20 years of, of Ring of Honor events. And again, it is the highest ever for a non-WrestleMania weekend event. It's pretty- okay. So there's Tony saying that this did 25,000 buys or approaching 25,000 buys digitally. I believe AEW, this is not an AEW show, but AEW does about 50-50 between traditional, traditional means cable and satellite, pay-per-view buys. So about 50-50 between traditional and digital, that is through Bleacher Report or through Fight Internationally. Um, But I would expect that Ring of Honor is way more digital than AEW is in terms of where the pay-per-view buys come from. So let's let's guess 60%, 70% were digital. That would put the total somewhere between 36,000 and 42,000. That's a lot more than what what uh, Wrestling Observer reported for pay-per-view buys for Supercard of Honor in April, though, which was 20,000. Um, so this appears to have done, you know, almost double what Supercard of Honor did. I mean, you had less competition too. A lot of people would have been buying pay-per-view events that weekend. So, I, I remember watching Supercard of Honor, and it was while SmackDown was on, while Impact was on. It's like New Japan Strong happening at the same time too. There was a lot going on, and maybe there were indie events going on. So I was WrestleMania weekend. Um, Tony said that this was the fourth biggest live attendance in the history of Ring of Honor, the largest attendance for a non-WrestleMania weekend. Um, I asked Lavi Margolin, who I, I rely on f- for uh, information, especially uh, for, for things like Ring of Honor and for other promotions. Um, and he thinks that that is correct, that, that there's 
there's four events. I don't know what off the top what, what they would be. Certainly the MSG show. There's a Lakeland, Florida WrestleMania weekend show and New Orleans. Have, WrestleMania New Orleans. Yeah. So that would be the three, I suppose. And this was what was the attendance, Jesse? I know you you had a, an estimate. Yeah, I mean, I, so the WrestleTix number that I saw, which was about a week before uh, the event, I think had a 2,200 tickets distributed. So that gave me kind of a baseline of what to think. Just having been it and knowing a little bit about the arena, the Songa Center, it uh, I, w- I would say put it between 2,800 and 3,200. Um, just eyeballing it there, it seemed like I would say they they had it seats about. 5,500, 6,000 for a basketball or hockey game. Obviously, a, a corner of it was, was cornered off by the stage, so not every section was open. But, you know, between the floor and, and the other and the other sections, I would say like 80% of those tickets that were there were sold. So assuming that maybe like 4,000 tickets were, were perhaps eligible to be purchased, I would I would put it about 3,200 to maybe a little bit under that. But that's what I would estimate, uh, just eyeballing it. And I ex- expect that Brussels ticks will, will come back maybe next week and uh, give a final count of, of, of the ticket map just before tickets stop uh, being sold. Yeah, and, one, and the other thing with this is uh, this is a really big week for, for wrestling in the Boston area. They had SmackDown was in Boston on Friday. You have this on Saturday, and then you have Dynamite in Worcester on Wednesday. So that is – that. I don't know from a drawing perspective, like, if that played a role at all and maybe – some people decide not to go to the Ring of Honor show, especially if they already were going to the Dynamite show and the SmackDown show. Sure. Um, so, any we can get into. Um, there was a media call before before the event too. Um, I, I think we can play the clip now. So, I, I, I asked Tony a question about the future of Ring of Honor television. This is also a subject in the, in the media scrum, but we'll listen to this clip uh, now. You've, you've talked about having discussions with Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, I'm wondering if, if WBD is the only possibility we should be thinking about when it comes to a <laughs> Ring of Honor TV show, if there's other media conglomerates you're talking to, or, or even your own uh, streaming service. Sure. Well, uh, I have talked to Warner Brothers Discovery, and I'm continuing to talk to Warner Brothers Discovery about it. I have worked with them now to get Death Before Dishonor on Bleacher Report, where it will be available this weekend. I think that's a really positive step. It's the first time Ring of Honor has worked with Warner Brothers Discovery, and I believe it's going to be one of the biggest pay-per-views in Ring of Honor's history. So I spoke to them yesterday, and they're really excited about this event, and there's been good pre-ordering. It's different pattern than AEW, but for Ring of Honor, this is going to turn out to be one of the strongest shows in their 20-year history of producing events. So I think it's a great way to start the partnership with this event get Warner Brothers Discovery familiar with the Ring of Honor brand, which is happening. Uh, you know, we've been in Atlanta this week, one of the home cities of Warner Brothers Discovery. A lot of the executives have come to the show and been around AEW and also around a lot of the great Ring of Honor stars. So I, I think there's definitely appetite on both sides and interest. And like I said, we're, we started things out together with our first pay-per-view event with, with Warner Brothers Discovery working with Ring of Honor and hopefully... I, I really, really would love to parlay that into weekly TV for Ring of Honor, which would be, I think, great for the wrestling fans and obviously great for everybody working with Ring of Honor. Okay. So I, what I was trying to get to there was that is there is there a TV deal uh, that's potential between Ring of Honor and, and just Warner Brothers Discovery, or are there other networks, media conglomerates, 
streaming services that are realistic to think about. Um, his, his, his response seemed to focus solely on Warner Brothers Discovery, which makes me think that that's, for now, the only realistic possibility. Does, do you guys agree with that, that reading? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I'd say it's either going to be on a Warner property, Warner Brothers Discovery property, or, well, you know, we brought it up before. They maybe do their own fast or yeah. they, you know, they put it on YouTube, like dark and dark elevation. I think so. We, we, we discussed that possibly, I think last week of, of just ring of honor on YouTube. And I, and I was told no, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, 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 so it's going to cost a lot of money to produce a weekly ring of honor TV show. And you're not going to generate enough money on YouTube for that to make sense. Um, so I, I doubt that that's going to happen. Um, if not a, I, I, I doubt TNT, TBS. Maybe there's another network in, in, in the Turner world. Well, I brought up True TV, uh, maybe. But, may, but I, I know HBO Max uh, and Discovery are supposed to merge as streaming services, and maybe that's, you know, maybe a Ring of Honor show is something they'd be willing to include in that. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, well, you look at the, what you consider major, major cable networks, and so you have Warner. We have Ian, you have NBCU, which is mm-hmm. probably not going to pick up Ring of Honor, so you can rule out all of those networks. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney, ABC, ESPN seems unlikely, but perhaps. Um, I think Disney is reasonable to think about. I wouldn't say that it's likely, but I think it's reasonable yeah. to think about Disney and Viacom. Yeah, I'd say Viacom would be the other kind of major player at the table who have networks, maybe MTV. Um, that would maybe be a good home for, for, for Ring of Honor. But I think it's Warner. I mean, he said he was, he talked a lot in the media scrum kind of about how this event was on VR live and how that already shows kind of synergy between the Warner brand and Ring of Honor. Um, I'll, t- I'll ask one thing though, and this, cause I, I asked him about the Briscoes and obviously the Briscoes haven't been on Dynamite or Rampage and, Tony essentially confirmed that they shouldn't expect to see them on Dynamite or Rampage. Yeah, let's want, we, we have that clip ready. Do you want to listen to that now? Yeah, sure. Let's do that now. And I expect them to be a huge part of the show. And this is specifically in, in response in response to your question. Um, we don't have your question audible, audible here, but yeah, go ahead. What, what, yeah, what I, basically, I, I, I basically said the Briscoes were in the main event tonight and a big part of the build for the show. Hadn't seen them wrestle on Dynamite or Rampage. Do we expect to see them in the future on either of those programs? And I expect them to be a huge part of the shows we keep doing here going forward. They've been in two of the best matches all year period on the first two Ring of Honor shows uh, that I've been able to work with them. And I'm really excited about working with them in Ring of Honor going forward. I'm not sure what the future holds uh, in other companies for them, including AEW, but I know that they're a big part of Ring of Honor, and certainly if the match had gone the other way tonight, they'd be great champions. They're signed to Ring of Honor contractually, and I think that uh, they're great representatives of the company, and I've really enjoyed working with them in this year, the short time we've been together. Thanks. Well, how did you interpret that response, Jesse? I mean, I would inter- I interpreted it as him saying that they're not going to appear on Dynamite or Rampage, and um, we can speculate on what that reason may be. Uh because, you know, he says, like, I can't say, you know, what they're going to appear on on other promotions. And it's like, well, Tony, you're the booker of AEW. So I'm pretty sure if you, you know, you would have control over whether you could put them on, you know, Dynamite or Rampage, unless there's an external factor beyond your control that's preventing them from being on that. Um, Which would be what? Well, it would be 
Jay Briscoe, right? Yes. Who sent out a, a it, was, it was a tweet, right? A controversial a tweet back in 2013. Yes. About I forget the I actually forget the nature of the tweet, but it was something so in, about how he would not be happy if his son was gay. In Delaware, at least in 2013, there was gay marriage law or something like that passed in Delaware. Jay Briscoe tweets that if you try to to teach my kids that that's okay, I'll effing shoot you. Uh, this is 2013. Um, we don't need to get into it, but he's he's apologized for it, and uh, so much speculation about whether or not it's the network that's saying, well, because of this, we we don't want you know this this team uh, on our TV show. Um, this this seems to have affected their ability to go to WWE and maybe other opportunities as well. And so, what, what's interesting about it though is that if we accept that there's a reason, there's a there's a network reason why they haven't been able to appear on Dynamite or Rampage, which I think is the truth at this point. But it seems likely that Warner is going to be the home. Warner Discovery is going to be the home for Ring of Honor. It would seem like that the, in the Briscoes are going to be a part of Ring of Honor. It does seem like the Briscoes are eventually going to get on a Warner network if we believe all of those things to be true. Um, and if they were blocking, if they, if, if they were blocking the potential, you know, TV deal with with Warner, and, and I, I don't think Tony would have signed them. So I did find that kind of interesting, where it's like. So they could appear on Warner and they could appear, but they would have to be on the Ring of Honor brand and not the Dynamite or Rampage brand because God knows somebody who says something controversial would be on a wrestling program. That's never happened ever before. So I, I find the, the, that that aspect of the situation I find kind of strange in the sense that they might be able to appear on Warner after all, but maybe not for Dynamite or maybe not for Rampage, which perhaps I've seen as more valuable entities. Does Warner Discovery feel more comfortable with them being on HBO Max, which is like a streaming service where it's adult? I mean, there's a lot of adult yeah. ring and programming all that too. And I was thinking, Gullo, that last night, I guess in FTR's promo, Dax dropped two f bombs. I don't know if they bleeped them out on the pay per view or not, or if you guys heard them. Um, but I was like, wow, you know, they left that in when they were on the air, and I was thinking about the potential, of perhaps, the Spring of Honor show being a TVMA show, which would create. And then maybe that would be a better fit on HBO Max than maybe a, a network, obviously. And maybe that would create uh, something distinctive to Ring of Honor and distinctive in pro wrestling would be like a high level wrestling show that has a rating that high. Yeah, I, I doubt the the content rating is, is is as much as an issue as as the brand association and 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 that history. I know Jay Briscoe's apologized numerous times, um, but that's still an issue for them. Um, Anything else that you would like to tell us, Jesse, about this uh, media scrum experience, a live experience generally? Um, yeah, no, I have a lot. So live experience, one thing that I noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people at home would notice this, is that the people who are involved with the show are all AEW personnel. Not just, you know, there's obviously wrestlers who are AEW people and some wrestlers who are Ring of Honor people, but the referees were AEW referees. The people working security were AEW security. The people who were working, you know, media relations were AEW media relations people. Um, did you make this graphic, Brandon? No, but I found it. <laughs> okay. Someone okay. else made this. Um, you know, when I got my, my media sticker, which I, I threw out, I don't have anymore. But This is a, uh, a Ring of Honor logo, very much in AEW colors for people listening yeah. on audio. They, when they gave me my media sticker to say it was the same, a, it says AEW media on it, doesn't say Ring of Honor on it. So everything is very AEW. They're clearly sharing a lot of stuff with them. 
I did note that during the at the merch stands they were just show, they were just selling Ring of Honor merchandise. I don't believe they were selling like AEW merchandise, even things like FTR's AEW shirts, which would be logical to sell at this show, even if it's technically a Ring of Honor show. Um, that was Ring of Honor, but it's they're very much at, at least the current phase of the company where Ring of Honor doesn't have weekly TV and is kind of running essentially one-off events. It's a lot. It's a lot of the, the the team is still the AEW team. It's AEW producers. It's AEW staff. It's largely yeah. AEW wrestlers in a lot of ways. Um, so that's yeah. something I noticed attending the show live. Um, I heard a lot of people who watched it saying the crowd was quiet. Did, I don't know if you guys watched the show, but did you I, I had it on that? mute as I was doing the NWA podcast. Um, okay, go go. Your your thoughts and analysis of the Ring of Honor the, the before his honor pay per view. Um, so does anybody kind of hate the high production value that AEW has for the Ring of Honor? Because to me, it just seems weird. It just it, you, it, you you want shittier production for your Ring of Honor. <laughs> I just want more grittier production. <laughs> I, I guess I could say it just it just looks different. It honestly looks like an don't AEW. don't tell Jr. that okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's more of an intentive crowd. I mean, you're talking more. A lot more map based. Like, yes, we have that in AEW, but AEW is boom, 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 boom. And I think Ring of Honor slows the product down a little bit the way they presented it. It wasn't as sports entertainment e as yeah. maybe AEW can get with the soap opera angles. It was very much, you know, there were three matches on the show: the Mercedes Martinez Serena Deep match, the Claudio Castagnoli Jonathan Gresham match, and the Daniel Garcia Wheeler Utah match, which were very much sim- very similar styles, where it's like a lot of limb work, a lot of submission and mat stuff. Those you see in AEW from time to time, but maybe not as much. And so that did feel like kind of a distinctive style to um, AEW or, or to this Ring of Honor product. Um, I thought the crowd was like awesome live. I thought like everything was over. There were a few periods, like the beginning of the Roosh Dragon Lee match, where I don't think maybe everyone was familiar with the talent, where the crowd was quiet, but then they got into it. But when I was seeing people who were watching it at home, they were like, crowd's quiet. There's no energy here. And so I think, I honestly feel like it's a production issue because when I was being there live, just everything was really, every match had people getting invested into it at the end. And a lot of the matches like FTR Briscoes and the, the Claudio Gresham match. I mean, they those were really the crowds were really into those matches. So I was just curious to know if at home people had witnessed that. Yeah. If, uh, if anybody in the chat was watching and you want to weigh in on that, let us know. Yeah. Um but yeah. you know, like the media scrum, I know I have a lot of thoughts on media scrum. I'm gonna write something up later, um, just kind of about my experience there and, and some more thoughts. But in general, um, you know, it's it's cool. It's cool that they have this kind of thing and it's set up very nicely. You, if you're a member of the media and you come in, they say, okay, you know, they have a section for the media to sit. I didn't sit in it because I had a floor seat, but you know, they say at the end of the show, come to the section, then we'll take you to where we're doing the media scrum. So they lead you right down. It's not like you're wandering around looking for it. They took us to a, like a, like a small conference room, you know, right, right off the, 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 the main arena section. And, um, you wait and then, you know, Tony comes in and, you know, Tony and uh, Claudio came in first and they, they have two people kind of working the room. And if you want to ask a question, you raise your hand and they come over and they give you a mic. And it's kind of a, it's not a super clean process. So I had to wave my hand like a few times because I felt like I was being ignored, but they did get to me. Um, and you, you can ask, you know, they, they don't, you can ask whatever question you want. I mean, I think, some of the questions, especially the ones that are basically kayfabe based, are a 
waste of time in a lot of ways because they they not only do they not only are they personally not interesting for me and I know people have different assignments they're with different websites they maybe have less of a I don't want to say they're not as serious as WrestleNomics in a lot of ways as far as how we're going to look at the the business and that kind of thing some of these people like the kayfabe answers that's what they're looking for so they ask um, I think they're kind of a waste of time but um, you know there was there was about ten. 10 people there asking different questions. There was uh, some people from local sports media. And it was interesting that those guys, one, one guy who, who covers the Patriots a lot, he was, you know, kind of praising saying like, this is way, this, this conference, everything is way easier and better than what the Patriots do. And what some of the other, you know, major sports people teams do for their, for their media scrums and their media press conferences, which I thought was kind of interesting, but uh, I mean, there's no shortage of time. It's, it went about two hours, uh, and, and I think, I think I know. I know, Brandon, you get a kick out of a lot of the answers and, and kind of the personalities. It's definitely interesting as a fan to watch because you definitely see a different side of these people. I think with someone like Claudio, yeah, who maybe doesn't have like the kind of promo ability that someone like a like a John Cena has or the rock where they can give them a mic and they can cut like this awesome energetic, you know, 90 second promo. But when he's answering questions like this, he comes across as very likable and very passionate and feels like a star. And it does create, and there are definitely people in, in Dax Harwood. He, like he's getting ready. He should run for like political office or something. He's, he's, he's the star of the scrums. <laughs> he, he should be in every scrum, even if he's not even on the card. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he's good. his personality just totally dominates the room and you ask him a question and he just, he gives these really thoughtful answers that are very personal. Um, he's talking about like know, mental health and, he, and he's, you know, he's, he's Dax Harwood. He's got this, this mustache and he's talking about how Southern men don't talk enough about their mental health and, and you know, how, how they, uh, they, they just randomly went up, went up to, to this little girl who had the, the, the sign that said FDR number one fan and stuff like that. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's, it's so so that part's kind of engaging on it. I mean, they they shot an angle. This is kind of like a big difference. This is, I think, like a key difference between like me and some other people, and then another section kind of a wrestling media is they shoot essentially an angle in the press conference, right? Wheeler, Utah, and Tony and Claudio are up doing the press conference. Uh, Brandon's cherub, Daniel Garcia, comes in and he's like mad at Wheeler, Utah, and they're doing kind of like a, a, a an angle. They're, they're working an angle. They're setting up another match between Wheeler, Utah and Daniel Garcia. And just, you know, my time, I don't want to waste my time like witnessing being like a, essentially a prop for a kayfabe angle in that like, I'm here, I got some serious questions about, you know, AEW's business. I want to get to them and I don't want to be a part of a wrestling angle. I understand why they're doing it. I think Daniel like was really good. Like, you know, he felt believable. Like he was really mad about this and like it's entertaining and some of the people around me were like oh yeah that was good like that was so cool that they did that and me and some other people i could tell are kind of like like can we get can we get out of this because it's so weird because you're you're asking questions with like you know wheeler and tony and claudio then they shoot an angle and wheeler and tony and claudio kind of have to work like then they're suddenly like that was uncalled for oh yeah all right and then back to like you know real real questions it was so that aspect of it, I, I could I could do without. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to just like the media that's there probably could stand to ask better questions. Personally, I think there is a lot of interesting stuff that we could have gotten to that we didn't because people wanted to ask a lot of questions like FTR. Do you think you're the greatest tag team of all time, or where do you think you rank? There was like, there was like seven different FTR. Are you the greatest tag team of all time 
related questions. Um, and just those are kind of, you know, just my general thoughts on it. I, I kind of like I like to write something up about just kind of my general experience and maybe some more thoughts about it. But it was I do it again. It was interesting. Um, and it's definitely something unique to AEW. It's something that WWE, I don't think, would ever consider doing in any form of legitimate way. They, they uh, did your, that one shield thing. If you remember that from probably 2014, 15. Yeah. Remember the shield doing a press conference. Yeah, and, and New Japan does the press conferences, obviously. I feel like those are, are more kayfabe-based. They don't, I don't know how many real media members they're inviting uh, to it, but it was it was, it was was definitely, you know, interesting. You know, there was, um, and, and just in general, it's really beneficial for the wrestling media to meet other people in wrestling media. Um, I've said this before when I've gone to AEW events and they kind of have the media section. You sit there and you meet people and you talk to them and you can talk about coverage you can talk about issues and it's really important it's wrestling media can often be a very isolated job you most people work remotely you're not working with like a ton of colleagues you don't see even people you work with on the same site you don't see in real life i've never seen brandon in real life um but uh you know you have these events and you kind of bring people together and you are able to meet people i i met nick houseman who i worked with members of wrestling media mostly interact through through calling each other out in quote tweets but (laughs) yes but like nick houseman who i've worked with at wrestling who i worked with at wrestling inc for like five years i'd never met him before um and then he was at the show and i was like hey nick and he's like oh my god jesse you're like finally meeting in person and he just it creates a stronger wrestling media environment kind of bringing those people together for those kind of events, you know, I've talked to Justin Barrasso, who I've, I, who, I have met Justin in real life before, but, um, you know, seeing him again, there was some other people um, that I had met before, Liam, Liam Crowley, who used to work for Wrestling and now works for comicbook.com, who I met in real life. And he's like, he's like six foot seven. He was just like way taller than I thought he was. And I was like, wait, that's Liam. He's like crazy tall. So that, that aspect I really do like about it. And I recommend if anyone is, is, you know, has a chance to, to get a media pass to a AEW event to go just from a, a networking standpoint. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I, I can reassure you that neither Gullo or I are tall. So I hope you're not tall either, Jesse. Yeah. I'm see, I know how tall Brandon is because I know, I know him from wrestling. Chris Gullo, I've actually seen in the ring too, but yeah. So like, bring it out. Um, so you better not be tall. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just assume everyone is average height until proven otherwise. And when Liam first walked by me, I was like, oh, that guy kind of looks familiar, but he's like, he's like really tall. So I don't know. And then like, I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that's Liam from wrestling. Inc. He's just really tall. Shane Douglas once said to me, he goes, you're short enough and, 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 and small enough to be a ring announcer. Don't get right. Me. You don't want to, you don't want to look too, too big next to, to next yeah. to when you're interviewing Fallon. The, the, the chat is one, one person in the chat. Tim is saying that your goal is Mike is muted, but I don't see that. I can hear him and he appears to be unmuted yeah. to me. So I don't know what's happening there. Uh, so, but I, I really like these pressers just briefly. I really like them because I like my wrestling to be as really realistic and sports like as possible. And often when, I, when I'm watching older wrestling, like old studio territory wrestling, it, it dawns on me that um, we're, we're, we're seeing uh, disputing that that call is Mike is muted. But I, I think about the, how, how the, the wrestling promo has become this sort of absurd form of public speaking or sort of an absurd trope of, of wrestling. And I'm not saying that obviously there are great promos that are great, compelling content that are what, what we might think of as traditional wrestling promos, but that's the default. And I don't think that should be the default. Um, and sort of, as, as you already mentioned, Jesse, yeah, I think Cesaro, somebody you don't think of as, as being a great traditional promo with the mic in, in front, you know, in front of his face, but, but at the press scrum, he's, he's just great. 
likable guy. I don't know if the audience is big enough for that to have the effect on on the audience more broadly, but I enjoy it as a viewer for what that's worth. Um, and I think there's I there's think- just other ways to to get personalities exposed to an audience other than the tropes that have been relied on for the last 20 years. I've always said that I think that The Rock and then later John Cena kind of ruined the idea of what a good wrestling promo is because they had a pretty unique ability to go out in front of 12,000 fans and cut a long promo that's entertaining. Or even if, a, if in Cena's case, if a crowd was booing him, still be able to get his point across. And I think that's hurt a lot. I think it hurt Roman Reigns because he wasn't good at that. And it kind of like that became suddenly the thing you had to be good at if you wanted to be a top wrestling star. And that was kind of WWE's philosophy. But I think in AEW, it's different. Like AEW, they do have like people that are good at kind of going out and talking in front of a crowd for a long period of time. Like people like Chris Jericho or John Moxley or MJF or CM Punk. Like those people do that because they can, but other people who I would, I would consider have been, you know, good or interesting promos. They don't, they don't do that. They could, they, cut 30 second promos even like eddie kingston like his promos are always like that um and they're always really good it's not because eddie kingston can't talk but sometimes it's better for him to talk in that way than necessarily go out in front of a crowd and entertain them for 15 straight minutes with a with a long spieling promo for for what it's worth to uh AEW was actually at comic-con yesterday san diego comic-con they did a a big panel where with excalibur hosted but you had jade cargill and darby allen being very interactive and i don't think they get enough opportunity sometimes to talk long, so there they are. I mean, talking to fans. I don't know how many journalists were actually at Comic Con for the wrestling side of things. Obviously, you know all the comic book and people go, but you know, I watched parts of that and that seemed pretty entertaining. I'll just go through a couple super chats. MJ from MJ says, Vince McMahon to live golf. I'm looking forward to the, the potential launching of live wrestling sports entertainment. I, I, I did look, I look up what, what the significance of live is. It's, it's some reference to the number of holes that, the, that they're going to play. Um, but yeah, one could imagine. Uh, and as I said before, the, the amount of money that that the Saudi government spends on WWE every year is enough to run a wrestling company. <laughs> it's probably comparable to what AEW is spending per year. Uh, and Urkaho just sends us a, a super sticker, which we appreciate. Thank you. There was a couple um, other ones we got earlier in the show, too. Oh, I was waiting. Did I, did uh, I miss uh, them? Go, I go, go for it. Waiting for Amari. Uh, we got... Uh, Tim B said, I tried to send this to TK during the Ring of Honor show so he can buy WWE, but I kept getting an error, so here you go. So just throwing out that uh, Tony well, what, Khan buying What did WWE. he try sending to? Oh, oh, it was a joke. Like He tried sending it, sending a text to, to Tony Khan. Hey, you should buy Ring of Honor, but he got an error message. I thought that he was trying to send Tony Khan $5 to go to some form of fund to buy <laughs> uh, WWE, which I assure you Tony Khan does not need your $5 to buy WWE. And then RT Machine says, I would recommend you guys watching Renee Dupree's last two videos on his YouTube. They talk about some interesting things about Vince and Johnny Ace. Brandon, have you ever been in a locker room, Renee Dupree? Not memorably. He's I don't think so. Very quirky individual. Very interesting, for sure. Not, 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 not in a bad way, but he's just he's a weird guy. In a, I guess you could say in a good way, but a weird guy, for sure. Yeah, thank you. Those are Australian dollars. We need some Australian <laughs> currency in here. Appreciate that. Uh, I will say there's a lot of those kind of like 2000s era like shoot videos or whatever where guys like Renee Dupree or Paul London whoever are telling stories about WWE that maybe in Vince that were maybe kind of dismissed as just like oh he's a guy telling a wacky story from some incident that probably didn't actually happen but now the more with these NDAs coming out there's kind of a, a renewed interest I think in a lot of 
that kind of content, these stories that maybe we kind of didn't look at that closely when they came out or when someone said it, that now with uh, the context, of the NDAs seem to make a lot more sense and perhaps seem like they might be a lot more credible than we originally assumed. Yeah. Um, okay. What else have I got on the slides here? Uh, not much more. So let's see here. Um, WWE still has not announced its earnings call, which I still, I guess, expect to happen on August 4th. That would be uh, two Thursdays from now. Uh, usually they announce it two weeks in advance, but that is, that has passed. Um, so um, we'll see what happens there. It, it, it may just be the fact that they're having their CEO, you know, step down that that is delaying that announcement. Um, TV 14, um, I, I was told... Uh, that's that's not happening. I, I believe at this point that the TV 14 story that that raw is going to become TV 14 is just a matter of miscommunication. That's my belief at this point. So, sorry, fans of the return of the attitude era. I don't think that's happening. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's all I have to have to say. So if anybody else has anything else, go for it. But, um, that's all I got for for this week. Okay, remember to thumbs up and share and subscribe to WrestleNomics on YouTube and in your favorite podcast app. If you want to give us a nice review, that always helps. There's always patreon.com slash WrestleNomics where you can get TV ratings reports that I post nearly every day. You get access to all the data, the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. You get slides, all the slides we put out here every week and including the, the other podcasts that we do as well as access to all three annual pro wrestling industry reports from 2019, 2020, and 2021 as well as who knows what else I'll put up there, original reporting, original analysis from time to time. Um, Golo. Yeah, uh, ch- check out my other podcast, Rediscovering Indies. We finished off part five of the Burt Prentice Deep Dive. Uh, so catch up on all those episodes, and we'll actually be uh, recording this Tuesday, uh, Dragon Gate USA, which should be out later this week, if not early wow. next week. We're going to talk about Dragon Gate USA, of course, RTA Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and Rediscovering Indies on Facebook. Okay, and, and Jesse, anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say always just follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings, right in the uh, video chat he, he, here. Jesse put, put, puts that in as his name always, that the handle. I mean, it's on, on it's easy because it, it's easy because it's it is my name, so it's it's, it's it accomplishes two two goals where people know. All three of us could do that. We, we yeah. all have our names as our yeah, Twitter. Yeah, got lucky. Yeah, yeah, we got lucky. Yeah. There's the other Jesse Collings in history was like the mayor of Birmingham, England in the 1800s. So he didn't have a Twitter account apparently. So, um, no, so I, uh, um, so I just, that's the best place to find anything. Um, the gentleman's wrestling podcast, which is right here on YouTube. Um, you can find, we just record an episode Friday afternoon. We talked with Adam Berger, who's written for voices of wrestling.com talking a lot about WWE developmental kind of the history of the performance center and the kind of, results that it's had for wwe especially the new philosophies when how they're recruiting talent and the next in line deals and such and we, we go we get a lot into that we finished recording like literally five minutes later vince mcmahon reti- announced his retirement and so there's a lot of stuff in there that uh was like kind of you know talking about well vince isn't in charge anymore then this might happen uh so it was, it was kind of bad timing but kind of good timing at the same time so if people want to check that out that's the gentleman's wrestling podcast on YouTube. But other than that, just follow me on Twitter. Um, keep up with my writing, keep up with my podcasting work, um, keep up with my snarky posts. That would, that'd be the best way to, to keep up with everything I'm doing. Okay. And thanks as always to post wrestling for being our podcast distribution partners. I was on the NWA podcast last night. That's part of the post wrestling universe. That's on their YouTube channel, the post wrestling YouTube channel and, and on the post wrestling 
podcast feed as well, as well as uh, one of the co-hosts of the NWA podcast, Chris Ely, has an article uh, that's gotten a lot of positive feedback. We're in this together, right, is the title. That's on the top of WrestleOmics.com. It's very easy to find if you go to WrestleOmics.com and you can read his article. Uh, Golo, read us out. All right. I, uh, hopefully I get his name corrected today. Yeah, but WrestleNomics contributors Jason Uprinsa. Do I got it right? Close? No, okay. <laughs> and Chris Ely. Once again, Jason, I, for some reason. Uprinsa. 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 Yeah, you're trying too hard, Golo. It's yeah. just yeah. Uprinsa. Uprinsa. Okay. It might, it might right, be like, like, it might actually be pronounced the way that you said it, but he told me it's Uprinsa. So. <laughs> Uh, Thetical consultant Phil Chertok. Uh, special thanks to John Pollock, Waiting, Corey Gibson, Showbuzz Daily, and Russell Ticks. WrestleNomics was created by Chris Harrington, distributed in cooperation with Post Wrestling, and supported by listeners and viewers like you. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks for super chats. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.